Good morning, everyone. My name's Mike, and I'll be reading our Bible passage this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 34. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What I received I passed on to you as of first importance. The Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are dead, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then... When he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, It is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And, as for us... Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day 
Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Thanks, Mike. Good morning, everybody. Morning to uh, all the people that are there at home looking through the camera. Uh, My name's Coops. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Trinity Modbury. And I have to say, um, it's great to be standing back up here and looking at a whole room full of faces after a few months of looking at a camera. I make jokes, the camera doesn't laugh, I make different comments and there's no reaction at all. So um, great to be back up here standing in front of um, a bunch of real people. Now, if you've got your Bibles or your devices and you could keep them open there at 1 Corinthians 15, that would be great. We'll reference that as I go through. Um, But before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can meet and hear from your word today. Please help your message to be spoken and heard faithfully. And we do pray, Father, that we would hear your message, what you've got to tell us, that we'd understand it and that it might change us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so this morning we're back in this letter of 1 Corinthians. And you'd remember, this is the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And if you remember our previous sermon, as we were working our way through this letter in our previous sermons, this is a church that had some pretty serious problems. So they were divided amongst themselves, they were greedy, there was sexual immorality amongst the people of the church, and they were worshipping things in the place of God, which is what we call idolatry. So all these things were happening in the church in Corinth. And in this letter, Paul's been correcting them as he's been writing through and as we've been looking at these chapters, he's been correcting these behaviours of the Corinthians. And now here in chapter 15, as we get towards the end of the letter, Paul's going to wrap all of that up and he's going to show us that Christ being raised from the dead bodily justifies everything that he's been teaching them. And that actually it fundamentally changes how they should live their lives on earth. And so I want to ask you a question. What do you think most people would say if you asked them whether the point of life is really just to eat, drink and be merry? There's a little bit of the, the end of the passage there that was just read. If you just said to them, is the point of life just to eat, drink and be merry? Well, I reckon a lot of people would say yes. I have asked people that question actually. And they'd say yes. Yeah, eat, drink and be merry. Today is all we've got. Like we're just here for a short time, right? So let's make sure we have a good time. I reckon that could be uh, the majority view. That might be the limit of many people's view of life. Now, if that is the limit of many people's view, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that it leads to extreme self-interest. And I wonder if you remember, it's been in the news actually again just recently, but back in April there was a man in Melbourne and there was a shocking accident He was in a Porsche doing about 150 down a freeway in Melbourne. I don't know if you recall that story. He got pulled over by a couple of police officers. He had meth and uh, cannabis in his system. He was causing a bit of trouble, so they called for backup. He had four police officers dealing with this guy. And then there's this tragic accident where this truck just careened off the side of the highway, ran into the Porsche, and he hit those poor four police officers. 
and the Porsche driver wasn't injured. He was, he was over on the side of the highway at the time, so the truck missed him. But instead of helping, he went and got his iPhone and he filmed the police officers as they lay there on the tarmac and they could hear him in the background and all he was talking about was the sushi that he'd bought that night and he was on his way home and he wanted to eat it and his Porsche and how his Porsche had got wrecked because he'd been pulled over. And then he left, he called an Uber and he went home to eat his sushi. It was disgusting. You see, there's a man who doesn't believe in the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then that means this life is it. That means that's all we've got, so eat, drink and be merry, or do whatever it is that makes you feel good, because, well, tomorrow we die anyway, right, if that's the case? And if that is the majority view, then like, that's a real worry. Because <laughs> in the long run... If that's what people believe, then it doesn't really matter how we treat each other. It doesn't matter what we get up to because we have no future anyway. And in that case, the only thing that really matters is our own enjoyment. And so you can see how pretty quickly that just sort of runs out to what that man did. Extreme self-interest as he left the scene and left those people there. But if there is a resurrection, then it changes everything. And in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is going to explain what it means for the gospel, what it means for God's plan for the world, and what it means for us, actually, living here right now. And so I want to look at the passage in those three points. And we'll do that as soon as I switch on the clicker. Oh, there we go. Someone's beat me to it. So we'll do that in three points. The truth of the gospel, the completion of God's plan, and the resurrected life. They're the three points that we'll work through as we look at the passage. So point one, the truth of the gospel. Now, as we read through this chapter, it seems like some of the people in Corinth, they're either just wrong or they're just confused about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the problem with that is if you get the resurrection wrong, then you get the gospel wrong. And so the passage begins... Paul's penned this passage by explaining the gospel. Let's take a look at it from verse 2. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Glenn. I might have to nod at you, I think, so not, we might need new batteries in this clicker. Um, so the passage begins by explaining the gospel, as I said. So from verse 2. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, that's the gospel, that Christ, which means Messiah or Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. We ignore the God that created us. Death and judgment's the result of that. But Christ died to take that punishment in our place. And then he was raised to life again, bodily. That's what the gospel is. And the passage goes on to explain what the gospel does. So what it is and what it does. Well, what does it, what does it do? If you hold firmly to it, you see that in the passage there? If you hold firmly to it, if you trust that Jesus paid our debt to God, then you're saved. Raised again to be with God, reconciled to God. That's what faith in the gospel does. It saves. And the passage goes on to the next slide to explain how we know it's true. 
verses 5 to 8. So I've highlighted all the people there that the Apostle Paul says Christ appeared to. It's hundreds of people, right? There's Cephas, the 12, more than 500, James, all the apostles, and the Apostle Paul. Hundreds of people. So imagine there was social media back then, Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all those other things I know nothing about. And people were saying, dude, I just saw Jesus. No way. Yes. OMG. Some people know what OMG means. but I only learned that recently. Anyway, exactly. He's alive. And this is a letter that was written about 20 years after Christ died. Just 20 years, right? About 55 AD. So some of the witnesses are still alive when Paul wrote this. So the Corinthians are reading this letter and Paul's really saying to them, look, it's not just me. There's heaps of people out there that saw this happen and some of them are still alive. So if you don't believe me, go and ask them if you want to. So do you see here how Paul doesn't leave any room for doubt? If you're in the church in Corinth, you cannot doubt that Christ was raised. Now, I've, I've pointed this sort of thing out to people uh, in the past, and normally they'll say, yeah, okay, Coops, but it's been a couple of thousand years. I can't ask anyone now firsthand, can I, who saw it firsthand? And that's true. But on the next slide, I'm going to show you a scene here. This is a scene from a movie called The Case for Christ. Has anyone seen it, Case for Christ? If you haven't seen it, it's worth getting. It's on Apple, and I'm sure it's on a bunch of other streaming services. Um, It's worth grabbing and having a look. It's a Hollywood movie, so it's really well produced, and it's a true story based on uh, a guy called Lee Strobel. He's an investigative reporter. Anyway, Lee's wife becomes a Christian, becomes a follower of Jesus, and it causes a bit of tension in their marriage, and Lee thinks, well, look, I'm an investigative reporter. I investigate crimes and solve things, and I do all that. Um, What I'll do is I will investigate the resurrection, and it can't be that hard. I'll disprove it case closed and that'll be the end of that marriage goes back to normal so he spends two years and he talks to all sorts of different experts and he interviews them and in the end he proves that the resurrection was true and he becomes a christian great story and a great movie and in this particular scene this is an archaeologist and he's explaining to lee that the oldest copies of the new testament are closer in date to the events that they record than any other historical document we have. And we have more copies. Over 5,000 copies of the New Testament have been recovered. Now, Julius Caesar, you know, the the old Roman emperor, he wrote an account of his war in Western Europe. It's called Caesar's Gallic Wars. And historians all agree it's authentic, right? That is beyond doubt. How many copies do you reckon we've found of that? We found 10. So by any measure, you can see that the resurrection happened. This is a fact. And if any more proof was needed on the next slide, Paul says, it was all predicted thousands of years earlier. Can you see that there in verse 3? It all happened according to the scriptures, the Old Testament. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. See, the resurrection, it proves the gospel gospel to be true. It proves the gospel. Saved to new life. 
And do you, did you notice that the passage also explains how the gospel works? On the next slide we'll see this. How, is, how does the gospel work? It is spoken and it is received. So yes, it saves. Yes, it does, but it must be spoken so that people can receive it. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they've done. If they trust Jesus, they'll be saved and resurrected to life with God. Even the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of the early church, a murderer, he was saved through faith. And through faith, if you believe, so will you. But what we received, we must pass on. If the gospel's true, then what is more important than that? Like the, the Apostle Paul says here, it is of the first importance. And so we must pass it on. It's up to us to speak up and pass on what we've received. And it's why we do our big question series. We heard Rory talking about that, to get us speaking to people about God because we want to get into a conversation with them about the gospel, either when we invite them here to church or to a life course that we're running, or maybe right then and there when you ask the question. On the next slide, I'll show you the biggest question. What's the biggest challenge we're facing? That's our big question series for um, our evangelistic run through the rest of this year, and we'll be preaching on the top four responses in January. Now, I asked a guy Tuesday night at my son's soccer training, and I said, um, listen, I've got a question for you. He said, okay, what is it? I said, well, my church is going to explain what God's got to say about the top four responses to this question. He goes, okay, what is it? What's the biggest challenge we're facing? And it was a bit awkward, I'll be honest, it was, a little bit. But I thought to myself, I reckon the awkwardness of this won't be a big deal when I'm resurrected in heaven with God. Right? That's the view I, I think we need to take. Won't be that a big deal when I'm... And especially if he's standing beside me, because God used the big question I asked him to guide him to the gospel. So we got through that part and I asked him the question and he said... Oh, look, I think COVID and environmental damage, you know, especially what human impact is happening on, on animals. And I thought, okay, that's great. I entered them on the form for our uh, top four responses. But then even better, he looked at me and he said, what do you reckon the biggest challenge is? <laughs> well, that's a gospel invitation right there, isn't it? So I said, I think it's people turning away from God. People who don't want to invest the time to find out about him and just to find out whether you know if there's more than just this life or if this life is all there is that's what i think the biggest problem is that we face and i said it because i want him to know that there is more and then we got distracted because i think someone ran up and was showing us a tiktok video or something so <laughs> conversation moved on but but the next time I speak to him, and I will because the soccer season's got like eight more games or something to go, the next time I speak to him, the way is open for me to ask him some more personal questions, you know, like, hey, thanks for uh, giving me those answers. I've been thinking about that. What do you believe in? Have you ever looked at the Bible? Would you like to? Because one in five people will say yes to that question. So if you believe, be reassured by the truth. The resurrection happened and the gospel is true. And more than that, be driven to pass on what you've already received. 
And this big question series, that's one of the ways that we can all get involved in doing that. But if you're here or if you're watching at home and you don't yet trust what Jesus has done, then come and speak to me about it or speak to somebody or send me an email. But make contact because the evidence is compelling. So at the very least, come and take the time and make up your own mind about what it shows. Now having made this argument about the resurrection, the Apostle now turns in this chapter to explain the rest of God's plan. Which brings us to the second point and the next slide, the completion of God's plan. Now you see there in verse 22, Adam and Eve turned from God and to sin that way leads to death. But God's plan was always to send Christ to die and to rise again, all according to the scriptures as I said. And this heralds the last part of God's plan. And on the next slide, we'll see verses 23 and onwards. See, Paul explains that to the Corinthians, and it's being explained to us, actually. Christ was raised first. Paul's already established the truth of that. He reigns in heaven now, and he will come back, and those that are his, the faithful, will be raised in body to be with him. Now, that's death entirely defeated, and it will bring about the renewed creation of God's kingdom. And notice there, I've put it there in bold, then the end will come. It will bring the end. And since we know the resurrection happened, it proves all of God's plan, right? It validates that this is going to happen. So do you see the power of the resurrection and its importance? I cannot leave us in any doubt that God's plan will be completed. And what that means is we are on the clock we're living now between, in the end time between Christ's resurrection and the renewed creation. That's the bit of time that we inhabit. And it brings us a lot of clarity. You know what it's like when you need a pair of reading glasses and um, you can't see things clearly? Some people know, some people have to imagine it. Um, but you put the glasses on and everything becomes clear. Well, if you see life through a resurrection lens, then it changes our priorities. Like if we're certain that God's plan is going to conclude just the way Paul writes about it here, then what are the most important things in your life? It's worth thinking about that. There was a... Um, a news article quite a while ago now, there was a stockbroker. It was about a stockbroker in San Francisco back in the 1990s. And he used to jog to keep fit. And his wife said that when he jogged, so much going on in this guy's head, he'd just sort of zone out, right? And he'd be thinking about the deals that he was making and the phone calls that he had to make and the things that he had, the appointments he had to keep. And he used to run with a little tape recorder because it was the 1990s and they didn't have iPhones back then. And he, he'd speak about all these things running through his head into the tape recorder. So when he got home, he could replay it and he could make all these notes. Well, one day, he goes for a jog and he takes a different path. And he's just zoned out running and the path takes him to a cliff and he jogs straight over the end of it and he died. <laughs> it's not good. But I wonder how many of us just zone out in life and we just jog on to the end. Falling over the edge. See, because the resurrection shows us the truth of what's coming. That creation, it's not just like a waiting room, right? That we're just waiting in until it's all over. And when you look at life through that resurrection lens, 
well then it's not about eating, drinking and just being merry for today, isn't it? We can see that clearly. And for those who trust, it's a wonderful certainty, eternity with God. But how many do you reckon are out there who are just sort of jogging on towards the end? But we can pass on what we've received. And we can tell them what's coming. And we can tell them God's got this wonderful plan to rescue them. They just need to stop and have a look. And putting on the resurrection lens shows us the meaning to our own lives. And it's why Paul tells the Corinthians in verse 34, which is our next slide, he tells them to stop sinning. Which brings us to our final point, the resurrected life. Now there's a line in here, bad company corrupts good character. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I heard that as I was growing up actually, multiple times, and I know I've told it to my own family. And it's true, but Paul's not saying here, don't associate with other people. Not at all. Christ spent plenty of time with people who needed to hear the gospel, didn't he? So he's not saying that. What he's saying is, just be careful of the corrupting influence that others may have on you. And that's quite right, because if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, they've been influenced and they've become very much like the society around them. As I said in the beginning, they were divided amongst themselves. They were greedy. There was sexual immorality amongst them. They worshipped things, not God. And actually, if you think through that description, how much of that would be out of place in 21st century Australia? You only have to walk up Hindley Street in Adelaide, actually, to see most of that. And I wonder if you've noticed as the years have sort of rolled on... um, Things are becoming more and more normalised in our society. Those sorts of things. Some of my family um, often comment that fashion magazines like the Myers catalogue would have been considered pornography back in their day. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but you can sort of get the point. See, we accept a very different standard than previous generations did, and it's because culture's not static. Culture changes over time. I'll give you another example. I used to work for a company in Sydney and we had an office here in Adelaide. And one month the manager from the Adelaide office was talking about the fact he'd lost his... his he had a company, we had company credit cards for expenses and he'd lost his expense, his credit card, right? It's a fairly big deal. And um, when people were sort of asking him the circumstances in which he thought he'd lost it, he said, well, he thinks he'd left it at the Crazy Horse on Hindley Street after entertaining clients one night. And it was treated as a bit of a joke, a bit of a badge of honour maybe, you know, it was just sort of accepted as a cost of doing business. That was normalised. And the Corinthians, they're surrounded by this culture that includes feasting and sexual immorality, probably at pagan temples. They're swimming in this culture that's changing. uh, And, uh, sorry, like them, we're swimming in a culture like the Corinthians, we are swimming in a culture that continues to change and normalise a lifestyle that the Apostle here warns about. And it's not just sexual ethics. If you, stop, if you think about that, it's in lots of different ways. And Paul warns about this because the resurrection validates God's creation. See, it proves that the renewal of creation that the Bible says is coming is going to come. We've talked about that. Think about how God created the world back in Genesis 1. He created the world with order. 
See, the world has moral order. And so if you think through that, it matters that we put on a resurrection lens and we see that order and we conform to it. Because those who believe will live with God, bodily resurrected, in the renewed creation for eternity. So what we do with our bodies matters. And how we relate to each other matters. And our lifestyle matters. I worked with a guy once and he used to have his own business. He was working from home. And he told me he'd get up and on a work day, he'd get up and he'd iron a shirt and he'd put on his office shirt and his tie. And then he'd go and sit in his office by himself and he'd spend his day doing whatever it is he did for work. And I thought it was a bit crazy because I think like a, a hoodie or something's more comfortable. And so I asked him why he did that, especially ironing, because I hate ironing. And he said because he needed to know who he was at work. Like this is his identity. It was his work identity. You know, like looking at a police officer in their uniforms, you know, so if they imagine they pulled you over at a traffic stop, policeman opens his door, and you look in, you see his uniform, and he's got a carton of beer open on his passenger seat. Maybe he walks over and he's sipping a can. It doesn't make sense, does it? Not in Adelaide and not in Australia. Like we see the uniform and we expect a certain conduct because it's who they are, it's what they are. Police don't, they don't drink on duty. We don't expect them to be drunk. We don't expect them to be irresponsible. It's not who they are. And for followers of Christ, it's like that. Except we have this shirt on that says Jesus across the front or follower of Jesus. And the policeman or my old workmate, you know, they clock off from work and they go and get into their casual gear, but followers of Jesus don't. See, that shirt, it identifies us and it doesn't come off. It's more like a tattoo. And it should make us stand out. So can you see how the resurrection changes everything? If you believe you've been given life, you're his. That's what you are right now and all the way into eternity. And that guy in Melbourne that I talked about at the beginning of the talk, the guy that drove the Porsche. See, if he knew the truth of the resurrection, he'd know that lifestyle matters. That what he did with his body matters. That how he relates to other people matters. And that the things that have value in eternity are ultimately the things that glorify God. Because the resurrection gives meaning to this life. It's not unproductive. It's not empty. It's not full of our own selves. And even in life's hardships and struggles, and I know there are many people here today dealing with some serious, serious things, will know that those hardships and struggles and that the way we live through them have meaning because the resurrection is real and through it Christ delivers us from sin to a life of no sin and no death and that's the certain hope and that is the lens through which we live out this resurrected life with Christ let's pray Heavenly Father we do thank you for this reminder of the resurrection of your son Thank you for your plan that through faith we might also be raised bodily to life to be reconciled to you for eternity. Father, please help us to put on that resurrection lens 
and see this life in the light of what you guarantee us. We pray that it will make our priorities clear. It would highlight the urgency that we need to tell those who don't know about you and it might renew our focus on the way we live this life right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.